Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Full-time job. I'm a full-time grad student. But just because I love you so much and because there's so much going on, we're doing it. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to lie. I don't like to lie to my audience. I like to be frank. The biggest reason we have two shows back-to-back is because I finally got (laughs) both guests, whom I've been chasing for a long time, to say yes. And you are not going to play around with a yes. It's like Billy Bean and Moneyball. When you get the answer you want, you hang up. Yesterday, we had Max Boltman on. Great show, talking wings. Today, a guy that we have chased for many, many years. A guy who has ignored me ad nauseum, who has broken my heart again and again. One of the finest journalists in the great state of Michigan, Kyle Meinke, MLive.com. MLive is a great publication covering the Lions. You are the man, and you are especially the man for being here, and welcome to you. Thank you for being. Uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, I spot no lies in what you just said. You are <laughs> I mean, you are was, fantastic. It was like a no, no. It was like a two year courtship probably before, uh, before this happened. I'm a, it's it's a busy time on the Lions beat always, and especially these days, I suppose. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you blaming it on the busyness of your schedule and not any animosity that you might have. And we've talked about it's been a a long rehabilitation process for my reputation in this town because I was told I was a, a terrible person in my twenties. And now in my early 30s, trying to be a good guy. And I don't know if Justin Rogers told you that the bar had good whiskey in this basement or what, but the bottom line is you're here and it's a good time to have you. There may have been some talk of whiskey, which may have uh, been the tipping point. I'm not going to confirm or deny the uh, the reports. Hey, but. I'm not above bribery, man. <laughs> and we, we poured one out, so we're actually yeah. enjoying some Johnny Walker right now. Prost. So cheers to you. And cheers to our audience, who is very privileged, by the way. To have Kyle in here at this time, because this is a special treat for us, because the Lions are a national story right now. And typically they're a national story because they're either going 0-16 or because their team is is shitting all over their coach on their way out the door. But now they're a national story for a more traditional reason. They're going towards a new regime change, complete overhaul. It's a big story when you're replacing a GM. It's a big story when you're replacing a coach. When you combine the two, it's a huge story. Our focus tonight, we'll talk about the GM, and there's been conversations going on. Our focus tonight's mostly going to be on the organization and and their search for a coach, because that's where I think there's just more actionable, discussable material. There's more stuff out there. There's more smoke out there. So I've talked about it openly on this show, Kyle. I'm a gambling guy. I I don't hide it. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an addict, but I'm a, a fun addict of gambling. I just, even if I'm not betting, I'm just fascinated with odds. So this is what we always come back to because the market is, is reflected in the odds in Vegas, Bovada, wherever you look. So we'll pull this up in terms of the next Lions coach. This is per Bovada. Now this may have changed a little bit. This was as of yesterday, but we're going to have Ben pull that up and, and display to everyone that's, that's watching the odds here. And for the audio listeners, I'll read off this is the top few names. Robert Sala, minus 200. For those that are not familiar with gambling parlance, that is a prohibitive favorite. 
And then you go all the way down to Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for the Chiefs at plus 700. Marvin Lewis tied in second place at plus 700. Daryl Bevel, a vomit-inducing plus 1,500. And then you start to get into the 2000s where you're, you're paying 20 to 1. And you're, you're getting into the long shots, you know, the Arthur Smiths and whatnot. So by definition, by any metric, any gambling perspective whatsoever, Robert Sala is the prohibitive favorite on paper right now. There's a lot of news about the Jets are interviewing him for the second time today. Do you agree that Sala should be the prohibitive favorite? Is he the favorite? And should he be the favorite for the Lions? Well, he he checks a lot of boxes, you know. I mean, they're looking for a guy who's going to have – I mean, first of all, he's got a great defense in San Francisco, you know, and the Lions do not. So I think that – is a pretty good starting point. Uh, but beyond that, the Lions, what's the, what's the profanity? Um, uh, or you can standard? say anything. Okay, they're a clusterfuck, right? Yes. Like, and not just on the field, but organizationally, culturally. And I think that's apparent. I don't think we have to spill more ink here talking about Matt Patricia and his failures uh, handling the locker room. We'll spill, we'll spill a little ink later. Yeah, we'll get to fair that. enough. Just a little ink. Fair enough. Just a but, little bit. You know, I think it's it's no secret that there was there was problems within the organization and not just between the white lines. And I think when the lines make this hire, they're just they're gonna be looking for a guy who more than anything can coach between the white lines, but they're also looking at the character fit, the culture fit. They're trying to rebuild their culture. It's a problem. It's better now than it was in 2018. And I think that's an important point to make too, but it was still a problem. Um and and not just in the locker room. Organizationally, Justin, that you have guys pulling in different directions. Uh, you had a guy like Bob Quinn. I, I have respect for Bob Quinn, and I think he did some things well, and I think he did some things terrible. He had some hits, and he had a lot of misses, and that's why it didn't work out. He wasn't a total wreck, but he also did some things, I think, that were that were uh, problematic for the franchise. And one was walling off parts of the organization from others. He, he you know, And it wasn't just him. It was Patricia, too. But this regime, they wanted... Uh, to have the football operations walled off from other parts of the organization, which created the uh, perception of um, you know an us versus them mentality within the organization. You've heard already Rod Wood reference that. You've heard Chris Spielman already reference that. So that is just to tell you that this will be an emphasis in the search. It's not coach speak. It's not like they're just filling like press conferences with fluff. They're looking for guys uh, who are character fits who will be able to build strong character, which has always been important to the Fords, and a unified culture. Robert Sala, based on everything that's out there, is a guy who fits that bill. Most of the guys on this list are. Um, that's why they're on the list. But I think Robert Sala, if you listen to uh, the things coming out of San Francisco, why players like playing for him, like playing for him, guys like Richard Sherman coming out and saying he deserves an opportunity because he's a leader of men, things like this. This is music to the Fords' ears. And I think in addition, all of that, of course, being from Dearborn, being able to be a you know, stones throw away from where he, you know, he played high, uh, high school football. That stuff all helps too. It, it fits into a narrative and it, it checks boxes again. He's got people, believe me, he's got people in, in Southeast Michigan who are campaigning for this to happen. Um, I don't know. I don't have any firsthand information on uh, how his interview went. I know there are reports out there that it went well, reports that they didn't go well. I can tell you, Justin, more than anything in this search, you got Rod Wood leading it with Sheila Ford Hamp. Chris Spielman, there's a couple of advisors who are, are advising the search, uh, informing the search, and that's basically it. It's a tight circle. So I'm my, myself, I'm pretty cautious of, of what I take out of, you know, what I'm hearing on this guy interviewed well and this guy didn't because they're getting it probably second or third hand at least. Um, so I don't know how Salah interviewed 
Uh, I see the favorite up on the board and I get it because of all the things we just talked about. Um, the way things are going with him getting a second interview in New York, he's got one with the Eagles, I think, tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I think the Lions probably go a different direction, but of course he fits out, you know, he checks all the boxes and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they eventually made the hire, if, if he was into it. Yeah. And, and I, and you nailed it. And, and I was about to say exactly what you just said is that, look, we don't have this inside information. We talked a little bit before the show briefly that they have kept this thing a steel trap where nothing is getting out. You know, we, you referenced in passing the report that the Sala interview didn't go so well in Detroit, which was an Aaron Wilson coming out of Texas thing. That was disputed by Dave Burkett, you know, a colleague of yours who said that it went very well. Who knows? But what we do know for a fact is the interviews that they've confirmed. And Robert Sala, who is my personal pick, and was the pick, by the way, before everyone else liked him. Just for the record, I, like, I liked him before he was That's popular. like the most hipster thing I've ever heard in my whole well, life. It, I, was, I liked Sala before it was popular like Robert Sala. Oh, it, well, it, I have the ultimate Detroit media hipster in the studio today, so I, I, have, yeah. to, I have to try to hipster your Not level. the first time I've heard that, believe me. That's <laughs> well, all right. but As I drink your expensive-ass uh, whiskey. Oh, oh yeah. It's, 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 let's not be mean now, Kyle, So because we'll get into the politics stuff later if you really, if you really want, although it's fun. I've been accused of being an extreme liberal and an extreme conservative, and yeah. neither of those are true. And yeah. um, I've been called a, a MAGA hat wearing uh, Trumper, and I didn't vote for him either time, but there you go. So yeah. I digress. But the point is, you named it. He today conducted his second interview with the Jets, and now there's buzz that he's the favorite there. You mentioned the Eagles. So we have one virtual interview with the Jets, and then an in person interview, a second in person interview with the Jets. Versus the Lions having just the Zoom interview. It's like, I mean, Zoom, to me, how serious are you if you've only graduated to that point? I think, in my opinion, and I know you don't have inside information because it seems like nobody does. It seems like he's not their guy. And, and I wonder where they land if he's not. And that transitions me to a name that we have also heard buzz about but not negative buzz with the Lions, but positive buzzes in terms of how that interaction went when they interviewed him. Marvin Lewis. And Marvin Lewis is a polarizing figure in a lot of ways. I have seen the gamut of reactions from the fan base. Um, I would say 70% negative, 30% positive, but it does run the gamut. And we'll bring up, Ben, if you can throw up this Jeremy Fowler guy from ESPN, had a tweet on Marvin Lewis. Thank you for highlighting that, Ben. What a fantastic producer you are. This is a quote from Jeremy Fowler on January 8th. Quote, Lions came away impressed by Marvin Lewis in his recent interview. He's in play there. So this was the first sort of mention publicly that I'm aware of that Marvin Lewis was like a legitimate candidate. This wasn't them just kicking the tires on a guy who had some modicum of success. I've been back and forth. So I initially it seemed like the Marvin Lewis rumor was met with a collective groan. Now you have a finger on the pulse of the fan base more than I do. We'll talk about all the emails you get (laughs) a little bit later, but that was my perception. I was initially against it. Like most people, my gut initial reaction was, ew, gross. Marvin Lewis. This is a team that has not won a playoff game since I was not in diapers. And he was the ultimate playoff failure. Take a step back. Bengals were terrible before he got there. They were terrible the second he left. He won a tough division multiple times. Do you think he's truly, as Jeremy Fowler says, like, I know you don't have the inside information, your gut. Is he truly in play for the job? And should he be? Do you think he's viable? 
Yeah, I do. Um, I think it depends a lot on who they hire as the GM. You know, because they're doing it different this time. They're not hiring a GM and then letting the GM hire the coach as they've done for forever uh, uh, with no success. So I, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I think it makes sense that they would shake up the process and their structure and um, more teams are doing what they're trying to do. And with the partnership between the coach and the GM, um, we'll see how it works out. I've never seen it happen before in Detroit and you got a first year owner and a non-football GM making these hires. So I, I there are reasons for uh, skepticism, but I like the approach, I guess. Um, but I think if they hire uh, you know, an inexperienced general manager, say Brad Holmes, who is the lead, apparently the leader now, the favorite, he's got the second, the first, second interview in Detroit. He'll be, he's in Detroit right now. Uh, he'll be interviewing in the morning with uh, the Lions in person. Uh, so I think he has to be considered the leader at this point. Very respected guy from the Rams, college uh, football uh, director, the, the the college football scouting director in, in LA. Uh, he was the guy who picked Aaron Donald. I mean, he he led that that, that evaluation and picked uh, Aaron Donald. Um, you know, Jared Goff, a um, bunch of guys uh, who did a lot of good things who helped that team get to where it is now. Um, but no general man- manager experience. And if you look at the guys they've interviewed, Justin, it's a litany of former GMs. It's it's pretty clear to me they want to hire experience, right? And that makes to me makes sense with a first-year owner, a non-football GM, uh, a Chris Spielman, who I have a lot of respect for, and he has an incredible amount of ex- respect around the game. It's hard to find a guy with more respect universally around the sport than Chris Spielman, but he has not been uh, in a front office before. This is his first time actually you know, having his hands on the levers. So it makes sense to me that they would want some experience. So to me, if they hire, say, Brad Holmes, a, a first-time GM, I think they will lean on experience in their head coaching hire. That's what, that's, that's what I believe. Yeah. And Marvin Lewis, in the search of the guys that they've interviewed and been linked to, has more experience than the rest of the guys combined. And as you said, I mean, like the optics of it on the surface level are not good, right? Like this guy who never won a playoff game. Uh, for famously 0-7. Right. Yeah. Never won a playoff game for a long-time doormat. Coming to a long-time doormat that hasn't won a playoff game since 1991. Like, the optics there are not great. Uh, but as always, it, the, the devil's in the details. Like you got to look at the nuance, and the nuance is that this guy's a pretty damn good coach. Like to go into Cincinnati for as long as he did in a sport where there's more turnover than any other sport, especially in, in coaching, um, and to last as long as he did and to win as much as he did. Uh, I mean, go try to find a, a bad quote about the guy from a player. I mean, the players loved him. I've never covered Marvin Lewis, but just from what I've gathered about Marvin Lewis, uh, what uh, players have said, uh, I've co- talked to a couple of people who covered him in Cincinnati, what they say about him. He reminds me of Jim Caldwell. The defensive version. I mean, Caldwell's yeah. got the offensive background. Schematically, and- they're different. Their yes. background and the X's and O's are different. But in the terms of the of the way they run their organizations, are, are they seem striking to me, which is what Caldwell was about anyway. He was an offensive guy, but he turned over the offense to Joe Lombardi and to Jim Bob Cooter. He was more of a the CEO type. Uh, and to some success, not enough success. We don't have to go down into a Caldwell wormhole, but he got fired and, and for good reason. But like, obviously what he did with that team was pretty good compared to what was before him and what came after him. Uh, Marvin Lewis is the same way, kind of a CEO type who, who was a player's coach who uh, got players to play well in a city that was a long time doormat. I, I think there are reasons to look at, at Marvin Lewis. And I, I think if they were to hire him, it would definitely be an uh, not a sexy hire, and I think that there would be some some backlash in the fan base, and that's something that the that the Lions would have to sell to the fan base, uh, and that's a negative for some people. 
and I've seen it on Twitter and you just alluded to it, right? 70-30 probably against him. I think that feels about right on Marvin Lewis. But the Lions should not be making this hire to win the fucking press conference. Nope. I, I'm so I'm so tired of the argument. I mean, look at Matt Patricia. And I know he wasn't universal. The hire wasn't universally beloved. But as far as hires go, it, it's about as universal as it goes in the NFL. He he was their plan A. Uh, the Lions aren't used to getting their plan A of anything. He was the plan A. He was the he. It was the, it was he was the, he was was the Lions' plan A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. and he I was, didn't know anyone against it, right? Including me. He was the 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 genius rocket science. I mean, we all heard the, all this all the stories. That was it was he he and he won that press conference right out of the gate. And you had people dressing up as Matt Patricia for for uh, for Halloween, uh, right? Like we saw little kids everywhere, like all across Southeast Michigan, dressing up in the in the beard and everything. Uh, and he was a historical disaster. The Lions should not be making this hire to win a press conference if they think if they want to hire Brad Holmes, if they think that guy is the right guy to run this team. And uh, there's a lot of smart people in this league who thinks he's a really smart guy, and they want to compliment him with experience, and they believe that's the right fit. Like I think they can do better than Marvin Lewis personally. If that's what they believe, they should they should do it, and I and I think that they that that they should not have to worry about uh, winning the initial press conference. I think they should worry about winning some football games. And if they think Marvin Lewis is the way to go, then they should do it. Yeah, we're totally aligned in terms of winning the press conference, and I don't know how much they value that anyway. I mean, Sheila Ford Hamp, yep, who I've I agree. crushed uh, for this decision yep. to retain Quintrish yep. in the first place, but that was her whole thing. It would be easy. It would be yep. cathartic for the fan base. Yep. To blow them out, but so I don't think she, yeah. for whatever criticism I have of her, and there's a lot, you know, it's been a rough first year. I don't care what anyone says; we'll get to her later. But yeah, you know, I don't think she values too much winning the press conference, which that's a good thing, and that's to her credit. I agree with everything you just said, Justin. I was one of the five people sitting at that table. I, I was sitting right there. She was sitting right there, um, and it, I mean, and her mother, Martha Ford. Uh, uh, was also sitting there, but she did 95% of the talking for ownership, which I think I even wrote at the time signaled to me, we have the successor yes. uh, in play. But I walked away from that meeting impressed too. I didn't agree necessarily with the decision. And of course it ended up being the wrong decision. Uh, and you have to hold that against her. But in ownership and decision-making, you have to have conviction of belief. And I think that's something the Lions have lacked in, in their like leadership structure for a long time. Someone willing to make unpopular decisions to, 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 to cut bait or, or, or whatever to, to make unpopular decisions. And uh, she was willing to do it because she believed it was right. It didn't work out. Of course, the, you know, the goal is to make better decisions going forward. Um, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I was, I walked away from that meeting impressed by Sheila Ford Hamp. And that was a big reason why this, like this ability to say this will back this will be unpopular but it's what i think is right i just think that's a an important trait in leaders um and if you talk to chris spielman like why he finally decided after getting a bunch of opportunities to leave the broadcast booth why he did it now if you talk to him about that he says it's because of sheila ford hamp ultimately you know he was in a hotel room in cincinnati of all places and uh they she had he had a second i believe a second call with her and he's like, it was like a locker room speech. I was ready to run through the wall for her because of her, you know, because of her, uh, you know, the, because of her passion for wanting to do this and stuff. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, I, we'll see how it works. It's very early in her ownership. And I understand that she has the last name Ford. So people yeah. are skeptical. I totally get that. The skeptical is warranted. The Ford family has been an abomination. We're on try three for but, the record. Yeah, yeah. This is the third try. So we're basically, if this doesn't work out, we're into like the family pet <laughs> territory. And, and I'm glad that you said 
basically something that I have been saying for months. Now, that was a December of 2019 press conference that you're alluding to where it was like you and four people, basically. It was a very limited clientele at that one. But Sheila Fordham didn't officially take over until like seven or eight months later. And I had people pushing back on Twitter. Justin Rogers, who I love, colleague years, he's, he's best. Even he was saying, oh, Sheila Fordham took over. She didn't even take over until July. It's like, come on, man. You were there. She said this in December. She was the one doing all the talking. You can't absolve her of the decision. That was a huge whiff that she had, and that's on her ledger. I don't care if the paperwork that they filed with their attorney said that it was her decision seven months later going forward. That was her. That was not Martha. If that was Martha's decision, Martha would have done more than sit there with her giant sunglasses and nod her head for the whole half an hour. That was a Sheila Fordham decision. It was a whiff. But I do agree with you on the mentality being the right mentality of I don't care what people think. I'll wrap with Marvin Lewis with this regard. You said you don't think he's the best fit. I'm not so sure he is either. I fluctuated on this. But the one thing I'll say about Marvin Lewis in his defense as a proponent of the hiring, however you want to phrase it, it won't be a bad hire. You hire Marvin Lewis, it's not going to go poorly. I feel extremely confident in saying that if Marvin Lewis is hired tomorrow, this team, maybe not next year, but within two, three years at the most, they'll be back into the Jim Caldwell, nine wins, 10 wins, getting into the playoffs. Maybe they're competitive in that wild card round. Maybe they're not. I don't see Marvin Lewis being a 4-12 and 12 type coach here. He's just too good of a coach. I mean, for whatever you think of him, I actually think it would be a solid hire. I, I want Sala. Marvin Lewis wouldn't be my choice, but my initial gut reaction was absolutely not. Now I've I've reformed a little bit where I would say it's not my pick, but I don't think it's egregious. I would get what they're doing. And that brings me to my next point. Whomever they hire, and Marvin Lewis would be compatible with this idea, they have, in my opinion, an obligation, a mandate to Look at this hire, and really for the GM too, but more so the coach. It's the more hands-on role of the two to have a reparative mindset with what they're doing. They have to, I hate the term players, coach, it's overused, but we'll make an exception. They have to go into a little bit more of the players, coach side of things because they have done not irreparable damage, but significant damage to the reputation around the league. The players were just stomping. Patricia's corpse into the earth's core. And we've talked about that again and again. They were taking victory laps when Quinn was fired and Patricia was fired. And this brings me, you know, we'll just throw one example. I like people being in studio and then quoting them during the show. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, this was just one example. This is you just really quoting somebody else. But Kyle Meinke tweet about Stephen Tulla, former linebacker for the Lions, stomping on the Quintricia grave. This was from November of this past year. Former Lions linebacker Stephen Tulloch on the firing of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. Quote, the best news I've heard all year. The city of Detroit and its fans deserve so much better. End quote. So that's one example. I could have pulled 20. Eric Ebron, Darius Slay, Sean Robbins, who Justin Rogers said, by the way, was like the worst player he's ever covered. But neither here nor there. They were stomping on the grave. I would argue they have to do significant reparative work with the hire. Do you agree that that's a strong consideration where you almost have to go with the guy that players just love, and even maybe more so than schematics for this hire? Do you agree with that? Uh, 
Yeah, more or less. I, I don't like dealing in absolutes in the NFL, but that is the trend that you see, and I think there's a reason for it. You always you, you see always see this reversion. Um, I, I always call it like the ex girlfriend effect. Like, <laughs> like imagine you dated a girl for for two years, right? And you break up, and you really hated a particular thing about her or her personality. The next girl, like, it's probably going to like be a totally a total opposite, right? And that happens in the NFL every time, and you've seen it with the Lions. I cu- I started covering the team in 2013. You know, Jim Schwartz, that was the Schwartz, uh, the, the final year of Jim Schwartz. And he was, you know, he was a, a fiery, <laughs> a fiery guy. I, I use the word combustible a lot. Like you just never really knew what you're going to get day from day besides high energy, you know, and sometimes it was up and sometimes it was down, um, you know, and he was a little uneven with how he dealt with different players. He, I think he picked favorites with star players and that was a problem. Uh, and Jim Caldwell was the opposite. He was the most even guy I've ever met in my whole life. Ex- extremely consistent the meme you've seen going around with the many faces of jim caldwell and it's all the same <laughs> face it's the truest thing i've ever seen on the on, on the on the internet and honestly being at dinner and watching a colleague show jim caldwell that meme to himself to to jim caldwell they showed they showed at, it to at dinner uh it was the funniest thing i've ever seen just, the thing people don't understand about Jim Caldwell, just to go on a really quick tangent. He he is one of the funniest guys in the league. I I mean, like, he is a funny guy. He just doesn't show that, like, publicly, you know? Uh, he's a pretty buttoned-up guy and everything. But, like, yeah, I always had always got a kick out of him when uh, we had we had stuff. But Ian Coe are me surprised, because I would yeah, have guessed yeah, that. He seems as, like, vanilla yeah. and plain and dull. I would love to say more, but it was, like, you know, it's off the record and stuff. No, so I'm not I get trying it. To That's be, fine. Uh, That's fine. But like, so you got Jim Caldwell, a consistent guy, um, a great CEO, uh, coach's player, right? Like guys love playing for him. Just not quite the X's and O's that you wanted. In-game problems. Like, I don't, I think he was behind the times with analytics. Uh, so he gets fired and you go to Matt Patricia, who's the X's and O's uh, rocket scientist, like, um, and also a fiery guy uh, to, to some detriment, I think. And so you see this all the time. And now, you know, bringing us to now, I mean, the the locker room uh, is in better shape now because the guys love Dar- they love Daryl Bevel, and I think that the, they picked Daryl Bevel to be the interim coach because they knew that players liked playing for him. Matthew Stafford loved playing for him. Matthew Stafford had a bad relationship with Matt Patricia in 2018. Bad. Uh, didn't though. I mean, exactly. No, no doubt. But when you have a bad relationship yeah. with the franchise quarterback and the most important guy to winning football games, that's a, that's a problem. Um, and it got better over time between Stafford and Patricia. And one of the biggest reasons it got better was because uh, Bevel came in in 2019 and Stafford actually liked playing for him. He didn't, I mean, he didn't like playing for Patricia in 2018. I feel comfortable reporting that. Um, and again, like you just said, no guy did. So I'm not like breaking any news. Uh, well, it's, it is, you're right, but, though. It's particularly important yeah, to Stafford versus the, the backup safety or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Bevel comes in and, and Bevel. Uh, is a good-natured, high-energy guy. The guy you saw in press conferences is the guy you get uh, in meeting rooms and practices. Um, you know, uh, I mean, just a guy you like, a, a guy who treats the lowest-level staffers in the building with respect. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of stories that I heard after Bevel was promoted in the first week or two and guys like just telling me amazing stories about uh, things about Daryl Bevel, like before he was even interim head coach, that he'd, he'd ask them about how their day was or what was going on or what their thoughts were about how things were going in the building or whatever. I mean, he made people feel important. And, um, you know, um, that's the opposite of Matt Patricia, you know. And, um, and I think that's a big reason why he was picked because everyone in the organization 
knew the problems that existed beyond losing. It was culture. It was the, the uh, energy and spirit of the team. I mean, guys were just obviously sick of losing. That, more than anything, beat the team down. But when you make practices hard and meetings long and angry and condescending, it just wears guys down. And Bob Bevel is the opposite. And I think you're going to find in the next hire a guy who's more from the Daryl Bevel cloth. I don't think it'll be Daryl Bevel, but I think he's more of a legitimate candidate for this job than people think to be honest with you, because he has um, uh, the uh, the respect of that locker room, which matters, I think. I, I don't think he's going to be the hire. I'm not here campaigning for Daryl Bevel, but I think he's cut more from the cloth of what they're looking for uh, in these candidates going forward. Yeah, I mean, maybe the cloth, but not not the actual person, because you, you mentioned that you agreed with me. Marvin Lewis was 70-30 negative. I don't know. Anybody out there pushing for, like, you know, let's retain Bevel and just elevate him on a permanent basis. Maybe, But, but again, they're not making this hire based on – Sheila Fordham, if anything else, has no, proven that, that she right. will make a decision irregardless of with the public perception. And public perception of Daryl Bevel, it would be bad. That might be the worst of all the candidates well, that I've seen linked to the job. <laughs> but, like, I think he could do a better job than most people believe. I, I Again, I'm not here campaigning for Daryl. I did not walk into this room <laughs> thinking I was going to be sitting here pounding the table for Daryl Bevel. But, like, I think oh people need God. to give him a little bit more, like, res oh, respect for the job that he did. I'm glad and that he's nice to the interns in the office. That's wonderful. Well, beyond that, though, he did a great job with the offense last year uh, in 2019. It was bad in for 2000. Five games. It was for the first, for, for all eight games that Stafford played. Okay. Uh, Stafford played the best, I'd say the best football. I that. couldn't remember how many games Stafford actually played. The but. first half of the season. <laughs> okay. And he played, I've covered the team, the team since 2013. It was the best, most consistent, most efficient football that I've seen from Matthew Stafford. Um, he uh, was efficient. He avoided mistakes while testing defenses deep more often than ever. I mean, we could go through all the numbers and we don't have to do that. It was a good first half. It was one of the best first halves of any quarterback in the league. Uh, obviously, there was a regression from the offense this year. I do find it interesting that in the last, in the four games that Bevel coached uh, down the stretch, Matthew Stafford had four, uh, in those four games, he had four of his seven highest rated games of 2020. He was a top three quarterback, according to PFF. I think he was number two, according to Football Outsiders, uh, in terms of quarterbacks in those final, in the four games at Bevel Coach. I find that interesting. And I, I don't, I don't, I have not gotten a good firm answer, Justin, on like, you know, what Patricia was, you know, disallowing offensively. But I think the game plan changed and Stafford played better. And I think that should go on Daryl Bevel's record as well. I don't think he's the sexiest pick, you know. Um, I don't think he's the next great. Uh, offensive or defensive mind in the league, but I think he got guys. He took over a team that was in a bad way. We all saw it. They got blown out four times in five weeks. They got shut out by the by the Carolina Panthers. Not a good team. Starting a XFL quarterback, and it was twenty to nothing. And he threw two end zone touchdowns in that game. It could have been thirty four nothing for all we know, you know. Um, and and Bevel takes it over after Thanksgiving, and they won one game, but they were competitive in all the games that he coached, and they played. Some good teams. Some they played the number one seed in the NFC. They played uh, the Titans on the road. I mean, uh, they were competitive, and it wasn't great and it wasn't pretty because they were missing half their team, and they had the worst defense uh, in team history and one of the worst in NFL history. Um, so I just think Bevel gets should get his due. I don't think he should get the job necessarily, but I don't think people uh, uh, should just diminish what he he did either. Ben, I, Ben's on the other side of the wall, producer Ben. I want to make sure you pull this clip for after the show tonight that Kyle is on the record as advocating for Daryl Bevel. And he thinks Daryl Bevel is a slam dunk hire. And if they hire anybody but Daryl Bevel, 
he's going to quit and protest. See, this is how rumors get started, my man. This <laughs> yeah. is how rumors get started. I'm going to be the Daryl Bevel guy fan, for forever. The fan base will go crazy. And yeah. look, I, I, I agreed with you, what, 20 minutes ago about, <laughs> oh, I love that Sheila Fordham doesn't give two hoots and hell about what the fan base says. That expires when you get into the Daryl Bevel being elevated on a permanent basis basket. Thank God you don't think that's going to happen because this – organization is depressing enough as it is without you piling on with Daryl Bevel being a legitimate candidate for this job. Seriously, like I will be running for the razor blades if that happens. That is an absolute travesty. Yeah, I will throw a parade for Marvin Lewis over Daryl Bevel. My God. Look, I like to be a windshield, not rearview mirror guy, but you were around an era that was a disaster. And you've talked about how it was a disaster. You've been probably the most critical in the you know legitimate media of the Lions, in my opinion. I think Burkett's more measured. You and Rogers are a little bit more critical. I think you take the cake. And believe me, in this studio, that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to hey, talk. I'm not trying. I'm not. I, I just write what I know, man. I, I talk to people, and I don't pretend to know the full picture. I just. I try to, my whole job, seriously, what I do, I just try to talk to as many people as possible and try to get as full a picture possible as what's going on and then just put it out there. And it's interesting because in, I remember in 2014 being like criticized by some fans for being too positive. And I, oh, it's happened since subsequently over the, over time, but like, especially that year. And I've been criticized a lot for being too negative. And I've had, believe me, coaches, including head coaches, have big issues with certain things that I'd, I'd written. And like my biggest defense of what I've written is just, this is what guys are telling me. This is what I understand to be your reality. And if you disagree, tell me and I'll write, I'll write that too. And I'll put that into the picture as well. But ultimately, if you win football games, the narrative changes and you're not winning football games. You're losing his, like games at like historical measures, uh, historical levels. And that's negative. And so the stories are going to be negative. And that's, that's, that's well, just what I do. And you said it. Too negative about the Lions? Yeah. Really? That that's an argument that someone made like with a straight face because I look, if you are completely fair about the Lions as a journalist, you are you have no emotion. You call it exactly like you see it. You are an object an objective judge umpire of the situation. You are going to be indicting them. And that's not any axe to grind. That's not any I'm a cynical asshole. That is them hanging themselves again and again and again. And they have been a joke my entire life. I don't know exactly how old you are, but I think we're similar ages. They've been a joke our entire life. But I want to focus just a little bit. We're not doing the deep dive. Five minutes or so. Bear with us. Because I'm curious. This is a selfish indulgence. This Quintricia era. Why didn't it work? Because I, I got to be accountable. My Twitter handle is Darko State News because I was the biggest Darko fan. I have a scarlet letter as my name. <laughs> I'm a big believer in accountability. I didn't know that. I'm glad you aired That's up the, the origin of it. That yeah. is the Darko State News handle <laughs> is because I was the biggest Darko defender. The guy was in Orlando putting up like eight and three <laughs> in garbage time. And I was still saying he was going to pop and be a superstar and be the second best player in that mm-hmm. class. It was the biggest example of cognitive dissonance in the history of sports analysis. Well, and that... Vane, you'll appreciate there's a day in quarantine. And believe me, we've, we've all gone into dark holes in quarantine, right? Like just nothing to do. Too much time on our hands with nothing with nothing to do. There was a day where I definitely YouTubed highlights of Darko 
Milicic or whatever. And uh, that, was, that was a dark day in, in, in quarantine for me, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah things <laughs> must have been really bad. I hope you had good whiskey that day. But the yeah. point is, look, I literally have built my entire social media identity on, look, I think I'm a smart guy. I think I usually I, – I get things right more than the average Joe Blow at Mr. Joe's Bar in Southfield. But as brilliant as I may be, I was – so stupid on my hottest, sharpest, strongest take in history. And I, and we've talked a little bit on this program about Jim Harbaugh. I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to win three national titles at Michigan. So I look, Matt Patricia's in my basket, not to the level that Darko and Harbaugh were, but he's in my basket of guys that I liked. I thought it made sense. I thought it would work. You mentioned earlier, fan base was damn near unanimous. My, Social circle was unanimous. The the buzz I saw online was unanimous. I'm sure there were some deviations and there's some exceptions, some outliers. But it seemed like the right thing to do. I hated the Jim Caldwell hire. I knew he would never win jack shit. That was in hindsight. This was hindsight. Why didn't it work? Why were we all wrong? Yeah, I mean, it's a that can be its own three-hour show right there, right? Give um, me the five-minute, the know, Diet the, Coke caffeine-free version. Yeah, I'll give you... You know, the, the five-minute version to me is it's not that they didn't know football, right? I mean, Matt Patricia um, knows football. I know people will disagree with me based on the way no, things no. played out. Anyone at that but level he knows. knows. Sure. And yeah. he was the – he was Bill Belichick put him in charge of his own defense. So, obviously, he knows some things. Um, I know that Bob Quinn knows football, um, you know, and he had some uh, some more successes early in his career uh, in Detroit. Um I don't think X's and O's and knowing football was their issue. I, I I think we just went through all of the um, you know the the problems in the locker room and the clashes there, and of course that affects the day to day. You know the you know where players are at in their headspace, even their bodies if they're getting worn out in training camp, which I think was an issue, especially in 2018. Um, but it it went beyond that. You know, it, they drove away. Their be- some of their best players with these personality clashes. Darius Slay is a great, great example, Quandre Diggs and so forth. Um, but by developing a reputation for being people who are t- tough to play for and would drive away the best players if they weren't personality fits, they also kept away good players, you know? And I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, the last two free agency cycles, I mean, early on, he was able to, Bob Quinn was able to sign guys like uh, Marvin Jones, for example, a really good signing. But the last two years, if you look at those signings, it was a lot of former Patriots and just trash, you know? I, I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. like, you're, you're the, the best offensive lineman you could go find last year was a backup from Philadelphia. Uh, and I know that he went – Vitae was never really fully right, I think, all, all year health-wise. And so that, that's a mark uh, – that, that, He I mean, was that, bent uh, for performance at least once, though. I don't care what Yeah, but he, he, was, he, he had the foot injury in week one, and yeah. he's a big fella. He, I, th- I think he was battling that and some other issues. I, 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 I'm not here to defend Vitae either. You know, I'm not uh, here for that. I'm, I'm just saying that when you put yourself in a box where you are tough to play for, you have personality, clash, personality clashes on the field, you are calling a star player on your team the C word 
effing c word on the practice field in front of the whole team. Who was it? Was it Max Sucker? Cunt? Was it one of those? It was. Two? It was. It was the second one. I, yeah, it was the second one. I don't like saying it. I think it's disrespectful. I, it's it's like oh, the one. It's like the quoting, holy, quoting the guy. I mean, it's like yeah. the it's like the holy grail of can, of curses for me. Teach I teach about World War Two. It doesn't mean I did anything. Yeah. Like no, I, I'm not admonishing you. I'm just saying I, that's not a word that I I use, especially in public. Uh, yeah. But that, yeah, that he was called a player, uh, star player, uh, leader of this team was called an effing c word um, uh, in front Darius, of the team. Darius Slay. No, it was a different star player. Really? Um, Wasn't it Slay? Was it no? Or, Slay was a different issue. Slay, Slay was the don't suck his dick or whatever. Yeah. That so, was. so what happened with Slay was they um, it was the joint practices with the Giants 2018. Slay uh, Slay. From the moment he walked in in 2013, when he didn't know shit about how to play football, athletic as hell, but didn't know anything about how to play the game, he walked in, uh, uh, you know, just wanting to play the best every single rep. And I've always respected that about him. And even as he got good, it was always the same way. So you can be damn sure he went into those joint practices marking Odell Beckham. Like that's that's what I, that's what he got up for, you know? I saw it the year before when they went to, or two years before when they went to Pittsburgh for joint practices. He wanted Antonio Brown every single play. There's like 5,000 people in the stands and he wanted Antonio Brown every play. I watched him get beat like twice in a row and he like jumped into the line so he could be on, on Antonio Brown the very it's next great, play. It's a great like, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it speaks to his, I think, his football character, you know? I mean, uh, so that is to say he was really eager to um, to run against Odell Beckham in joint practice in 2018. They do that. I, can't, I, don't remember, I don't remember if it was day one or day two, but after one of those days of practice, after practice, but before the team meeting, Darius Slay posted a photo on Instagram or maybe, maybe even a series of photos of, on Instagram of him guarding Odell Beckham. And they walk into the meeting and the first slide on the team meeting is the Instagram post and Patricia, I mean, just frankly tried to embarrass him in front of the team. Um, uh, and as you said, he said, uh, you know, stop sucking another man's dick basically. Um, um, but like embarrassing him for the social media post, he, Patricia had a whole hang up about social media in general. So it doesn't surprise me that this happened at all. He thought players were too much and were way too much into likes on Instagram more than they were into film and all this kind of he's stuff. He's not wrong, he, but he it's sounds, like Tom Izzo. He, it's a losing battle. He's not wrong. He's, I don't think he's necessarily wrong, but this is the culture of the yeah, game. The kids are 22, battle. 23, 24 right. years old. Like this is how, how it goes now, you know? But there was more, you know, he Slay felt disrespected and the relationship was never the same. Uh, Slay gets dealt a couple of years later when, I mean, Slay made absurd contract demands. He knew the lines were never going to meet. And it was mostly because of Patricia and the damage that had been done years before. Quandra Diggs, Golden Tate, Glover Quinn, team leaders with strong personalities who were purged over time uh, because Patricia couldn't get along with them. Um, and... Again, you get you get the reputation on the league for having tough, long, absurdly difficult practices, even back to back, which players don't like because it doesn't give your body a chance to heal. They players feel back to back tough days like that, long days on the field puts them at a you know uh, at a greater risk for injury and stuff like that. Now uh, the personality clashes. To me, Justin, that was this was the the divide that, that that Patricia created in the locker room over these like character issues and culture issues. That's why they lost in 2018. Uh, and it contributed to the losses thereafter. They they put themselves in a hole going forward because they're having to get rid of some of their best players, and they're putting themselves in a position where people don't want to sign here unless you give a former Patriot player ninety million dollars, and then they'll make they'll become Trey Flowers. Right. So, you know, so I, that to me is the biggest reason why it didn't work. And and, and 
perfect segue into a my theory on it, and I'm curious where you stand. All reports out there, there was stuff that I think it was like Bleacher Report about the popping champagne when he got fired and this and that. But my belief, if I had to guess, was if year one is handled differently, it could have been a better outcome for that regime. I think in all the reports, and maybe you can confirm or deny, that Patricia really made an effort to scale back, tone it down in years two and three. But it was just too far gone. Do you think I agree with everything you just said? You just agree. for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I okay. think it's important to, to to say because it's part of the record too. Patricia was a disaster on every front in 2018. And as I just said, I think that's the reason why they lost in 19 and 20, because I think it made it more difficult to find good Irreparable players. Irreparable damage. I thought so because yeah. there was guys in that locker room who were never going to forget what happened in 18. And then you all I think it also made it dif- difficult to find good players in 19 and 20. But the flip side is uh, Patricia made mistakes in 18. I saw gains in ni- 2019, and players did too. Uh, he was better with the media, but that's a tangential part of did the job. Did he show up on it's, time in year two? <laughs> he, he did. <laughs> he, that he was, was a big thing. You and was, Rogers would be like, oh, we're 17 minutes late for the press. Rogers time. would. I, I, <laughs> I, wasn't, I thought, yeah, it, was I thought it, was, it was It was Justin mostly because... <laughs> We all, we all, he said what everyone was thinking. I, I just didn't want to go there. <laughs> I thought um, it was both of you, but I, I remember vividly Rogers being yeah, like, yeah. well, it's 10 17 for the 10 o'clock press conference. Wait, yeah. not bad, Patricia. But the thing, like, again, so embarrassing. another good point to make the the public gaps, the gaps with the media get a ton of attention, right? Ross because it happens, in front of, it happens in front of the cameras, it ends up on PTI or whatever, which happens like, I feel like three weeks in a row at one point, like these minor gaps. Um, but like, again, that's a tangent, like tangential part of the job. He's there to win football games. But the, so the problem is, is that he was showing up late for us, but he was doing the same things with the players. He would, he was so hard on the players on the field. The players would show up for the meeting, uh, the long meeting after practice and Patricia would walk in 15, 20 minutes later, whatever. And then he would expect everyone to snap into like attention at the moment he walked in, you know, and players took that as dis- disrespect, you know? Um, so that to me, was, the greater issue was that he was late for team meetings and everything else, not just that he was late for, you know, press it's conferences. It's weird because you're you're um, supposed to be like the yeah. regimented, strict, like really, yeah. it's, you know, it's not even really like those ideas are conflicting. Like you're the, you know, hard-nosed New England, like serious buttoned up guy, but you're late to meetings. I, I yeah. never understood that. Like even if it you was, are the asshole, the asshole's you usually are, on time. You're right. And that, that criticism is valid. And that's something that a lot of people would say that he was doing wrong in the job. And I think he was doing a lot of things wrong that first year. What is I, he I, doing? I think, I Why think, is he late? I, I think that he was, for lack of a better word, micromanaging. I think he had his hands in a lot of different things, was obsessed with things that a head coach should not be obsessed with. And I'm not going to get too specific because uh, some of the stuff was said to me off the record. but. Um, he, he was obsessed with things that didn't matter. And, and it, it, like, if those things stack up for head coach all day long, you're obsessing over things that don't matter. And then you have the things that do matter to deal with as well. And you're an NFL head coach. They, these guys have a crazy schedule as it is. I can understand how things would just stack up every day and you'd end up late for things. And I think that's what happened. But to get back to your prior point, uh, to answer your question, I, I think he got better in 2019. He was on time for stuff. He was respectful. I think he was urged to be on time and respectful publicly urged by who people above him. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was told, you know, like yeah. he was, he was urged to uh, put a better face out there for the Detroit lions, you know, 
um, and to to be less um, to be less um, confrontational, uh, to be on time, to show more respect for the process, if you will. Um, in twenty in two thousand twenty, he was even better. And I have to give Matt Patricia credit. I think that's I think it's important to do it because we kill him for the failures on the field, and they were innumerable. But he got better over time. And in two thousand twenty, I watched him field tough questions basically every day, especially after the first couple of games. Basically every day he was facing difficult questions and down the stretch, he was facing very difficult questions about his own legacy and future and things that matter a lot to him. Uh, you know, his legacy and, and, and having being an NFL head coach, it meant more to Matt Patricia than, than, you know, it, it meant a lot to him and um, to know that he had to have known that he was going to lose it at some point and to hear questions about it. And he still treated the process with with professionalism and, and dignity, and so I think he did that. He did that well. Players that I talked to say that he conducted himself with, uh, again, more professionalism and dignity. I think in 2020, if Matt Patricia were to get hired for another job, um, I think he'd do a lot better job. You know, I, I just think he was in a losing situation in, in Detroit after what happened early on. Um, you know, coaches sometimes learn, and to bring this back to Marvin Lewis, maybe like not maybe not a sexy hire. But I think coaches learn something when they go through that process and they have time to step away. Uh, you know, it's, I would love to see how second-time coach, head coaches do in the NFL, their track record of success um, versus first-time head coaches. Uh, Bill Belichick, obviously, is the most famous example of a second-time coach. But, you know, I mean, just didn't work out for the Browns for a number of reasons, right, with a loser. And then he goes to uh, the Browns, to the Patriots, and he's the best of all time. Um I'd be curious to see what would happen with Marvin Lewis second time around. I'd be curious to see what happened with Matt Patricia second time around. Well, I don't Marvin think he's, I don't think he's going to get I don't think Patricia's going to get the opportunity. Probably soon, not. But, but Marvin Marvin Lewis's first time around was not <laughs> a disaster by any means, whereas Patricia's was. Look, I'm a conveyor belt of opinions, and I in the garbage heap of bad ones, Patricia being a good coach in a home run hire is right in there. But you know, at least I had a lot of company in that regard. And really, this is an organization that has a track record of a lot of ridiculous hires. And everyone talks about the ownership and they're the one constant. My dad is a season ticket over to the Lions, which means by <laughs> default, so am I, I guess. I mean, he doesn't, oh nobody else wants to go. So it's like, I'm, I, I'm usually his companion in heaven my whole life. Look, we don't have to, to go through the entire sordid history of this absolute abomination of an organization, this embarrassment, this fraudulent team that is a shame on the city. But I do want to talk about your experience with them and the extent that you've been involved. And you have, in the grand scheme of things, a a sliver of this team's history that you're associated with just professionally. But I have to imagine this team in particular is a brutal team to cover based on how inept they've been, the type of uh, fan interactions you deal with, it has to be miserable covering them, right? Is that is that fair? I mean, I'm sure you like your job, but just the covering them has to be frustrating on principle, right? Um, yeah, I love my job. First of all, I right. anything negative. I'll, I'll just about, negative I, about M Live, like, but no, I, I get paid, dude. I get paid to like travel around this country eating free food 
and like it's all relative and, though. And writing about football, I you'd mean, rather cover great. the Packers, Kyle. I mean, come right. on. So I just I wanted to preface that because I don't want I don't want it to look. It's not shitting on M Live. Um, I mean, most no, no, people would saw their nah, arm off. Shitting on M Live. Shitting on just the the, the 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 job that I have the, as a beat writer of an NFL team. I feel grateful and I don't right. take that for granted. And so I just wanted to right. start with that. Before I agree, I get into and the, that's separate. But yeah. just covering them. I am not saying you hate your job, but covering them has to be frustrating because they are so inept. And in my opinion, tone deaf, and that's I, you know, I won't speak for you, but you know, attacking the media. They had we talked with Michael Stone a few weeks ago, and now they're back at ninety-seven-one. But their whole issue with Mike Valeni and their Bill Keenest, who's now the team librarian, but at the time was their media relations guy, calling up Mike Valeni during commercial breaks, demanding that he answer the phone, and they, it's it. They're an embarrassment of an organization. They always have been. And I get called the cynic. I get called the bad guy. I get called the lion's hater. Look, I still, with great shame, with great embarrassment, with no pride at all, declare myself a Lions fan. And I declare myself someone that wants nothing but the best. But your job, I can detach. I can say, you know what? They are so stupid. I can't take them anymore. I'm taking a month off. I'm Lions free for the month of June. This is your life. You're surrounded by this crap. You have to be. You can't detach. I just It's got to be frustrating some days, right, dealing with this? Yeah, no doubt. Um, there are two things that come to mind. One is uh, the cycle of negativity that comes out of a loss. You know, Mondays have a certain feel to them. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even a fan. I, I, I don't have a rooting interest, and I still get exposed to the fan sentiment the you know if they lose you know you're writing about the negative things you're asking about the negative things the players get down about it the coaches get down about it maybe you get yelled at for dwelling on the negative even though the negative is what there is to dwell on fans are angry because it's happening uh, if you don't write it quite the way they want if you don't if there's a bad call in a in a 20 point loss you're out with the loss and you mention the the blown call, but you don't feature it enough. You like you don't represent <laughs> you the anger toward the officials man. enough. I'm gonna get ten emails, fifteen. Oh yeah. So like you know my my e- there are weeks. I'm not kidding you. There are weeks where I don't open my email. Like and I'm sure my boss. I hope my bosses are not watching. <laughs> Because uh, that's probably you know not your bosses not are best the form. only ones in Metro Detroit not watching but the show right now. Literally. My email inbox will be a nuclear wasteland, you know, uh, you after when, when, when things get bad. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the best. My favorite tweets of yours are uh, when you do like the screenshot of the emails yeah. that you yeah. get. Yeah. It's so good. I get some crazy ones, man. We all do. I, I don't think that's unique. But um, and the second thing is like, um, you know, as a writer, I, I, w- I would like to I would like my writing and my work uh, to be as relevant as possible. And covering an NFL team, you're always pretty relevant. And I'm very thankful for that. Covering a historical loser in the NFL, I mean, um, you know, your exposure, uh, the, your work's exposure is, is, is just not commensurate with uh, the Packers writers, or the Patriots writers, or these teams that go to the playoffs. I mean, even the Browns right now. The Browns are about to, about to play in a divisional game. My colleagues are, are writing good stuff that's getting national play. They're going on national radio shows, national TV shows. If they make a run to the Super Bowl, my colleague's going to write books. Those are things that I would like to do. Those are things that are hard to do when you cover a historical loser, a team that loses no matter what it does eventually. Um, but having said that, Justin, like I've really appreciate like, it. It's grown over time. and it, it, I didn't feel it at first, but now in 2020, having done this for eight, se- eight seasons, Getting a little old. Um, you know, I, I've really developed an appreciation for the like 
singular nature of Lions fandom. Like, I, I just don't think there's a lot of fan bases quite like Lions where, as you just said, like, you're pulling your hair out, you're angry, um, you're upset, it's a historical loser, it's a laughing stock, you always know they're going to lose, and you're still going to the games, yep. and you still care, and you're still banging this still goddamn table. Still want the best for them. Yep. And, I, and, like, there's other fan bases like that, too. It's It's not totally unique, but there's a lot of places like the Jacksonville Jaguars can win uh, five games as the Lions just did. And they're going to have 5,000 people in those stands and the Lions fans care. And I see that. And I, and it, it, like I said before, it can, the cycle of negativity is one of the, my least favorite parts about this job, especially on a Monday after they lost, dude, you should see after a road game, you know, if you're in, if you're wherever, if you're in Seattle, if you're in Phoenix, especially some of these places, and they lose on Sunday. You should be at the Detroit game on a Monday morning sometime and just see. Like I, I want to write like a story sometime about just the scene at the Detroit game, at the Detroit gate after a loss on Monday morning after an away game. It's uh it's it's sad, but these people care so much that they paid their hard-earned money to go to Phoenix or Seattle or wherever to follow a team they they know is gonna break their heart eventually. Like it, it's a it's a kind of an amazing thing. And I think because of like this endless six decade cycle of of losing, like you get this um, you know gallows humor, and I've seen it from you like ten times tonight already. Like making fun of yourself for how much you care, <laughs> but you but at the end of the day you still care, and all you can do right, all you can do is make jokes and about I don't it. Want to. And I'm 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 I'm, I'm endlessly like fascinated by that too. And I I'll just wrap up this little like soliloquy with this, like. I'm asked all the time when I do have opportunities to go on like national radio and people do care about the Lions or when I'm talking to colleagues at the Super Bowl or the Combine, you know, national kind of situations. There is this perception that because the Lions always lose, the fans don't care. Because again, that's what happens elsewhere, particularly in the NFL. If you are two and ten down the stretch, people bail. Ghost town. People bail. Um, and and people assume that's the case in Detroit. And man, is it not the case? As you know, as everyone watching this thing who follows the Lions knows. Um, and when they do eventually win, which will eventually happen in the span of time, um, you know, like I want to be around Detroit when it happens just to see the scene. Even oh, if I'm not coming. Like, like, the, like, the top, like top, the top in this town will come off. Um, you know, they, they celebrate even the smallest victories and I can't even imagine what it's going to look like when they make it to an NFC championship game or God forbid, uh, you know, uh, beyond that, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, people care. And I, that, I love that about, I write, I write to a fan base that really cares and I've always appreciated that. I, I've seen fervor for the Tigers, although they didn't get it done, but world series fervor twice over. I've seen Pistons title fervor once. I have seen Red Wings title fervor in the city four times. Nothing would compare to what I project the Lions to be. It would be the parade would start in <laughs> Grand Rapids near our friend Tara Stafford out there and just continue <laughs> all the way to Windsor. I mean, it just it would be unprecedented. And look, your your official job title is beat writer. You're the beat writer. But you have recently, and correct me if I'm wrong. But recently, you've had multiple submissions that have the little qualifier at the top. This is an opinion piece by you know, yeah. the, the writer. This is uh, not the beat. Look, from my perspective, you've been killing this team lately. And I don't know if the quarantine's getting to you or if, <laughs> Ju if Justin Rogers said something mean to you. You've always been critical, but more, you know, maybe a little more measured. Not Dave Burkett measured, but a little more measured. You've just been killing them. I'm curious just generally. 
Have you, I know you haven't followed it, obviously, because you're crushing them left and right. But have you ever felt pressured by the team? Have they ever attempted to apply pressure to you not to say something or to take your reporting in a different direction? Yeah. And I'm just going to leave it at that because all those conversations are off the record. But off the record, you're taking them, them harassing you about the nature of your coverage off the record? Why respect that? Hey, off Because the it's record, a professional courtesy. And oh I, I care God. about having sources. And so people are not going to talk to me if they don't uh, think they can talk to me in confidence. Hey, off the so, record, be nicer about the team. How is that? No, it's not the- that simplistic. It's come on, man. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I believe me. I, I dig in and I have my disagreements. <laughs> I, I, I'm not I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you asked me a question. Do they I, come to me? And I'm saying, yes, they so, have, including and I'm not just talking about PR people. I'm talking about people who are football side. Okay. But I'm just going to leave. Like, I'm not, those conversations are private and it doesn't behoove me to air out someone else's. You don't even else's. have to name names, but can we talk, can we go on like the, the crust of the pizza here? Like, <laughs> can you give an example, not with a name, but of like, hey, they didn't like, somebody in the organization didn't like the time that I said Jim Caldwell, the dope, should have gone for it on fourth and one instead of punting against Dallas in 2014 or technically 2015. Like, there's not, look, I'm not going to twist your arm. It's, it's your right. I'll just, to, I'll just say this. Jim Caldwell in his, all this, all, in his four years uh, coaching that team, never once, ever once criticized me or the nature of my work. Did anyone uh, ever criticize your posture? <laughs> like poor Mike Ross. Not to my face. Not to my does face. Does he actually have bad posture? He is like six foot eight. I don't know. Maybe he does. I've never analyzed. I'm not going to comment on a colleague's posture. But I will say like, um, you know. Uh, so the the disclaimer, I just want to say the disclaimer that you see on the tops of the columns, that's yeah. oh, every news publication handles columns versus news stories differently. And to be honest with you, I don't even like how we do it. I, I just follow orders. But I, it's, standard, it's about my pen. That's a standard qualifier. Well, some places, uh, other places in Detroit, for example, they'll have in the headline column, colon. Well, I think of the free press, for example, if my colleague Dave Briquette writes a column piece, it might say Briquette, colon, or uh, Seidel. Just yeah, that's, fair. that's fair. Uh, we don't do that in on live. I kind of wish we did, but we don't. That's just our pop, our our style, if you will, across you know it's a big company, yeah. multiple cities, and so I'm just a peon in the whole thing, and I just follow orders. And so the thing that we they want me to do is to show people this is an opinion piece from a reporter as opposed to straight facts. We want the disclaimer at the top, so I put it there. Um, but I've written the same column every year I've covered the team since. 13. But short answer, you have felt pressured, but you can't talk about it. And that's fine. But the point is, if the takeaway for the audience, the many thousands of people that are watching this program <laughs> with great glee, is that, yes, they have applied pressure to you. And that's the same story that I've heard from Justin Rogers, that I've heard from, uh, I can't say his name, off the record, somebody at 97.1. On the oh, rec- now, now he goes off the record. All right. Uh, right. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not completely hiding the ball. I'm telling you, I, I'm giving you multiple examples that are on the record. Mike Stone couldn't be more on the record than on the show <laughs> was talking about the speed. I'm not against off the record, but you, you, I mean, come on, you're off the record was yes. Next question. I mean, come on, you gotta be a little more than that. Uh, we're a little, we have an insane. And I, and I, and I did. And the you did. Well, I had to drag I, I, I'm just it saying, out of because you, I, the, the, I can't answer the specifics that you want. You want me to dangle some fruit in front of you and tell you which fruit's good. And to, and to tell you which coaches were bitching to me that would about be great. coverage. And I could tell you names and it doesn't, it's not respectful to them or the process. Like this is not how what about my, my business audience. Works. What about yeah. respectful to I love, them? I love you all. They're I, extremely I the, curious about this. Look, audience, but, but we, I can't, it's, it I doesn't, get it. I respect yeah. it, Kyle. I just, you know, 
I, the allegiance to my audience more than the Lions coaches that you don't want to hurt their feelings. Look, which I get. I respect your position. But talking about what a joke they are, we talked very briefly pre-show. I think it's safe to say you and I are aligned on this. And this is something that I feel like every four to six, maybe eight months it comes up, this Calvin Johnson thing. My opinion for my money, I'm, I'm not an old timer, early 30s here, but probably the second best player to ever play here behind Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into you know, Sims. It's, I, I don't know who they are. You know, Bobby Lane, I mean, I'm sure they were great. I heard Bobby Lane could drink anyone under the table. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a comment on Bobby Lane. But in the modern era, the second best player to ever play here, one of the best receivers to ever play the game, had he played longer, which he was certainly capable of, would have gone down safely as one of the best receivers to ever do it. This organization and the ultimate show of pettiness, something that they did, to the aforementioned Barry Sanders as well, where they're suing Barry Sanders trying to collect his signing bonus back when he retired via fax in London. I'm going to bring up a couple of your tweets. Ben will throw them up there for the viewing audience, and we'll read them. I agree with you on this. This is for you on January 5th, and this is what I talk about. Your ass has been chapped lately, and it's just fantastic. I think it's great because I feel like I can relate to you more than ever. Quote from you on January 5th, Calvin Johnson has become a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Now give the man his money back. And then you follow up with another tweet about Calvin Johnson, um, which, of of course, our screen just goes dark. But So you go on a a back-to-back tweet session about Calvin Johnson where you're saying, look, it's a joke that they haven't paid him, that they're trying to collect his money back from him. Uh, I mean, I think it's the ultimate sign of pettiness of this organization that their two best players, again, I'm not getting the Bobby Lane, their two best players, Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, in whatever order you want to shuffle them, have both been, I know Barry's friendly now with them, but have both been attacked on the business side and, and had the forensic accountants for the Lions going after them. I think it's embarrassing. I think the optics are horrible. What does it say about the Lions that they do this stuff? Obviously, you think it's stupid. You put it out there. What does it say about them? Yeah, I just think it's a, I just, I'm almost, I'm almost in a professional sense insulted by the dumbness of this whole debate. But I, I'm not, I'm not even sticking to Barry because I wasn't around for that. I, I know obviously the facts of what happened. I, I just didn't cover it. I was there for, for Calvin uh, when he retired. <laughs> just a, a quick tangent. Like I'm sitting in a cafe. It's, uh, I guess, I suppose March or something. And, uh, and, um, I see on my Twitter, I forget who reported it, but somebody reported Calvin Johnson officially retiring. Huge news, right? Monster news in Detroit. And I'm, I just start pounding away. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, like, not even 30 seconds later, like, I see, like, a commotion in my, my periphery. I look up, and Hillary Clinton is standing in my, like, cafe in Detroit, like, during the, this was 2015, during the, during the campaign, like, uh, 16, 2016, during the campaign. Uh, just a while, like, just a weird confluence of like two events for me. But anyway, so I remember like, covering, I was there covering the Calvin thing. Um, and it's, I'm, like I said, I'm in a professional sense, I'm almost insulted by, that we're even sitting here talking about a million dollars. Calvin Johnson made, I don't know, 200 million or something like that on the field. The Lions are a billion dollar organization owned by billionaires. And we're sitting here talking about a million dollars. Like, it, it's so it's just a dumb business decision 
like I like the so the Lions were within their right to ask for the money that they asked for, and I think that's an important point to make. I think it's an, also an important point to make that like throughout the NFL, uh, teams let that kind of thing go a lot of the time. I forget what Andrew Luck uh, was allowed to keep in his signing bonus when he walked away, but it was like six times more than Calvin, seven times. They more. famously I, I forget did what not it was, go after him. Yeah. yeah. So and you see that all the time with legendary players, the cornerstone kind of players. If a guy walk, you know, comes through for two years in a town and then decides to walk away, I totally, I, I totally understand it. But when a guy like Calvin Johnson is in your t- is in Detroit for nine or ten years, he was drafted in 2017. Uh, he played as a rookie. Uh, the following year, he loses all 16 games. Uh, he was there for some of the darkest times that the NFL, that any NFL team has ever seen. He was, for a time, the only reason to come to Ford Field. Like, what other reason was there to go to Ford Field in, in 2008? There was none. Like, roster-wise, like, personnel-wise, uh, record-wise, obviously, competitive-wise, obviously, like, there was no reason to go there besides to watch one of the greatest of all time catch a football. 2009, you had the hope of Matthew Stafford. He played, I forget how many games he played that year, but they won two games. Year after that, Stafford, I think Stafford played two or three games in 2010. Again, it was before my time, so I, I don't really don't know, know the numbers. But like in those years, Calvin was the only reason to go to Ford Field. He was the jersey you saw in nine out of ten fans. Even now, uh, five, six years after five years after his retirement, uh, you see, it's probably more Calvin jerseys than anyone still, like five years after his retirement. This team made untold millions of dollars off of this guy. This guy, in return, gave the health of his brain to the team. He gave the health of his knees to the team. In his last year, he was getting knee drains every single week to be on that field. You mentioned before he had more football in him. I think he had more football in him. I don't think he had any more Calvin football in him. And I think he knew that. I think that was part of the reason he walked away, too. The maintenance he had to do to be on the field was incredible. The last year that I saw him play in 2015, he just took a lot of square shots. And it was interesting to see because Golden Tate, that was he in the last two years he played with Golden Tate. And it was interesting to see the juxtaposition of the way they played the game. You know, they're both very productive receivers. Um, but Golden, you know, he's a shifty guy. Like it's hard to get a square hit Never on Golden gets Tate. Blown out. Right. Yeah. Very rarely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Kelvin, because he's so damn big, you know, and he 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 goes up for the football or whatever. He he just and of course, he's taking more attention from the defense. He's getting bracket coverage and all kinds of stuff. So there's always an extra guy around to hit him right in the freaking legs every time he caught the football. Like, so it makes sense to me that like his body was breaking down, um, and he gave all of that to the team and more, and and made them untold millions, and was the face of the franchise. And he did everything that any team, any organization could ever ask for of an employee. The way that he was in the locker room, he was the first guy in the film room. He was teaching Corey Fuller, who was never really going to amount to anything teaching him the finer points of like how to watch film, like, like doing the, even the smallest things that you'd expect that you'd want from a guy, even though he was the biggest of stars. And that's a big reason why you see Kelvin Johnson. He's a star star. I've never actually, I've never seen that before or since in Detroit that he like, there are stars and then there are like the stars who the stars want to be. And Kelvin was the stars star. And when he had to walk away because of the losing and because of the physical toll, they asked for a million dollars back. Um, that, that, to a billionaire, that's like 10 cents. 
It's humiliating. Like, it, 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 it's a rounding error. And I think that's a little bit of a cliche now, but it's true in this sense. It's a round, it's a, in the operations of this team, it's a rounding error. And they came after a legend for a rounding error. And it's like, that, that to me is the biggest, that's why we're talking about it. We're talking about five years later because it's the Lions did something so petty and cheap. And look at them now, right? Justin, they are coming off of three straight last place finishes. They just had two of the three worst defenses in team history. They had this, they allowed the second most points in the history of the NFL. Only the 81 Baltimore Colts allowed more points than they did this year. The, they're headed toward another rebuild. Like people are exhausted from this whole process. And Calvin Johnson's going into the Hall of Fame, or he's going to be a finalist anyway. Yeah, I, I think he's, I, he's going. If he's not first ballot, he'll be second ballot. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty close because of the depth of this class. Right. But he, he's right there. And either way, he'll be a finalist. He's a semifinalist right now. And there should be a moment of celebration for a team that badly needs a celebration. There should be, this should be, everything is going wrong right now. And this should be the thing that they're able to like publicize the hell out of and be able to have a little bit of like celebration and like uh, give fans something uh, to cheer about their fans to cheer about. And instead we're here sitting and talking about a million dollars, which is a lot to me, maybe not to you. Oh, it's, come it, on. it's a lot That's to a me, lot to me too. I'm just, but I'm just playing. What, what, no, but, but, and it, it, it's just petty and it's cheap. And it's, it's in a professional sense, it's, a, it's insulting to me that we have to even talk about it five years later because it's so silly. Well, it's bad on two levels. It's bad mm. on principle and it's also bad just strategically. I mean, I would argue even if you were a cold hearted, uh, penny pinching bastard, <laughs> it's still the wrong move because the goodwill that you could get from having Calvin Johnson Day and having him as an ambassador yeah. is easily worth a million dollars, especially when right. compared to the negative. Like I said, right. every four, six, eight months, he's running some free football camp in Wavonia or wherever the fuck, and he's talking bad about the Lions. It's like, so you're not just getting the denial of the good publicity, but you're getting Kyle and Justin talking about how embarrassing this is five years after the fact, and it's a million dollars. It's ridiculous. And but I, honestly, like in terms of PR, like I, I don't even know how they calculate it, but you always see these calculations, especially from like the Rovells of the world yeah. of like, you know, of like free ad uh, time that, yeah. you know, when, th- when something goes viral or whatever, the Lions have cost themselves millions of dollars. Oh, it's in a publicity. loser. It's a like they have loser. lost money on this decision to take away money from a legend. That's why it's, it's so cheap and silly. And, it, and they and did I, it and to I, Barry. And, and I'm, and I'm sure they regret it. I'm sure the people, I don't, I, I can't regret speak. it. I'm they sure can that, still I'm make sure, it right. I disagree. I'm sure that they do. I don't. I don't. Then make it right. Yeah, I, I, I would love to ask that question. I, I need to ask that question to Rod Wood. To be honest with you. Um, oh, Rod, good. Yeah, ask but, him a money question because that's the only thing he actually knows anything about. The fact that this accountant is sitting in on these football meetings is just egregious. But I digress. Look, you said it. They have the right to do it. Oh, that by the letter of the law, the contract. But there's a clear distinction between the right to do something, and the right thing to do. They're leaning on the former. Oh, we have the right to collect a million dollars. It's an embarrassment. It's an indictment on the organization. And can we please, for the love of God, you said it. The one silver lining with this joke, this abysmal, fraudulent operation would be to have Calvin Johnson Day in the fall, God willing that COVID's tampered down and fans are there. But you have Calvin Johnson Day. He's in the Hall of Fame, and he shows up and waves to everybody uh, at the 50-yard line at halftime. They can't even give us that. 
They can't even give us that over a million dollars. It's it's an embarrassment. They're they're an embarrassing organization, and they always have been. It's gonna be a. Pro- it's not even over yet either because he's he could get elected into the Hall of Fame, and he's not even talking to the team. He's he's gonna um, look. I'll make and a he's, bet. He's 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 made it very clear. He's gonna shit on them in some interview. I don't somewhere. think that he will. I I, I don't I, think that he will. I think he will because like he's aired out his dirty laundry, but he hasn't like said. He's been measured, I think. Like he he's said his piece, but he's been measured in the way but that he's you done can it. And shit I think on that them he through omission. I think if you that, don't right. mention the Lions. I agree. If he's in the yeah. Hall of Fame and he, he's in Canton, he's given the acceptance speech and doesn't even mention anything with Detroit. That is shitting on them through omission. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. But yeah, the fact that we're even talking about it leading up to a what should be a ceremonious event for a team that could use any kind of positive yes. publicity, that's to me is the problem. You're spot on. And and you do a great job with this Lions coverage. And we're gonna finish there with the Lions stuff. I, I wanna give look, I'd be remiss. Anytime I call anybody out on the show for anything and then they end up sitting in the chair you're in, I have to address it because it would be disingenuous. Fire away, man. I had your colleague, Justin, he's actually been in here twice, but Justin Rogers, great guy, respect him. We talked about this whole stick to sports thing with yeah. columnists. And he had a position which he explained in great detail on our show for our audience, completely opposite of you. His position is the exact position that I would take if someone had the insane idea to pay me to do what you do. I don't want to know what your political views are. I told Justin on the show, I said, look, I've been following you for years, Justin. I'm probably your biggest fan in in Metro Detroit. I have no idea if you think Donald Trump is the greatest president that's ever lived or if you think he's a parasite that's going to take over the country uh, and just ruin everything in the world. I have no idea. That's what I like. I follow you and many other people, but I follow you. Just let's keep it to you because I think your Lions coverage is fantastic. The thing that I don't like that I think is irritating is the what I view as a constant, you might push back on that, railing against what I view as basically the entire embodiment of anything conservative, but Donald Trump in particular. You hate Trump. I was 0 for 2 in voting for him. I don't like Donald Trump. But I want to hear from you what's going on with Adrian Peterson. How's he look? Why is he here? Is Daryl Bevel a real candidate? You've gone the other way. Justin said, look, I don't think it's really my place. I keep it to myself. I talk with my family. You go the other way. I'm just curious. It's your platform. You can do whatever you want with it. I'm curious why you've made, any, you've made the conscious choice to sort of blend the two. Yeah, and we're all, this might shock you, but we're all different in the field. We're like, not every sports writer is the same. And Justin and I are, are good friends. We have the frenemy, I think, public <laughs> perception. And I love it. I love that guy. And I love our friend of me. Uh, he's of great. The Justin's great. But we're, we're, but we are, we are good friends. Um, uh, we are like, he's as good of a, good of a professional friend as I have, in, you know, in the business um, more so than anyone at MLive or, or whatever. That's not even a site to anyone at MLive. I've just known Justin for a long time. We work side by side for each other. We had some difficult, uh, I would say, uh, moments early on as co- as coworkers, uh, and we grew from that. And I was I was more so in the wrong probably early on. And I've always appreciated the grace he handled that. Um, and then we became friends while he was still at M Live, and then he took the job with the news, and we're even better friends now. And I have a lot of respect for that guy. And you're right, we handled the, this stick to sports issue hashtag stick to sports issue uh, differently, and that's fair too. I respect his position, and my position is different. And my position is that stick to sports is 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 dead like it, you're gonna see more of what you're already seeing because the intersection like 
the intersection of sports and politics is here to stay, you know, black for, for lack of a better word, at least in the moment, like I'm not projecting a hundred years from now, but mm-hmm. we're at a politically volatile moment where sports figures are protesting the government. You have the government protesting players, which, you know, it goes back and forth. And uh, so, um, you have, you know, when you have players kneeling in front of you to protest police brutality, that's a story that you would, that's different though. That's where they intersect. So if someone's kneeling in a football game, you're covering football. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a defensible yeah. uh, dipping into the pond. I'm talking about you talking about something that has nothing to do with football at all, that there's no intersection there. And look, at, we didn't pull a bunch of examples, yeah. but I don't think you would deny you've commented on no doubt. Donald Trump's so, things that have nothing to do with people kneeling on a football what I, field. What I, were, you know, what I just said was to lay the groundwork for sports are more political than ever, just like politics are more athletic or more sports based than ever. I mean, Trump has been uh, obsessed with sports in one way or another just this yeah. week as he's facing possible impeachment. He's trying to give the presidential medal of Fre- the the medal of freedom to Bill Belichick. I mean, it's like the, it the two the, the two are intertwined more than ever. Uh, which fair. makes my job more political than ever, uh, which is to lay the groundwork for me being more political than ever. And um, you know, I honestly I I'm mean, I'm sure there are exceptions. I'm sure I I have slipped at times, but I have really tried to operate with the personal philosophy of, I I have never tried to tweet anything or certainly say anything on MLive that was purely political. I, 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 I defy you to find a single tweet about tax law or abortion or these truly yeah. political issues. In my estimation, personally, um, I think that everything or damn near everything that I've tweeted that would be considered political is not partisan. I, I I think that you would have you would struggle to find. I'm sure you would find exceptions, but I think you would struggle to find them. I, I care more about where, body of work where, than individual where, exceptions. Yeah, my body of work yeah. I think would show that that I have that not a single thing I've tweeted has been partisan. I, I don't think like when somebody says grab women by the pussy without their, their without their consent yeah. and coming out against that, that is not a pro issue on either side of the aisle. Just like being against it is not. On either side of the aisle, yeah. right? That, that's not like it's not pro Democrat to be against pussy grabbing. Just like it's not pro Republican to be against pussy grabbing or whatever. If I just said that right, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like it's that that's not a left or right issue. That's a right and wrong issue to me. So if I tweet that maybe the president of the United States or soon to be president of the United States shouldn't be saying something like grab women by the, by the pussy without their consent. That to me is not a partisan issue. That should be a right or wrong issue. And those are the things that I I've agree. tried. To, those are the things that I've tried to focus on. In the last week, uh, you ha- you've had uh, not to get too much into politics, I guess, but like you know, you've had an assault on the the Capitol building. Uh, yep. I would call it a terrorist event, where you had armed insurrectionists storm the Capitol with uh, handcuffs and uh, a noose, and um, you know it's. Um, you know, they're chanting about hanging the vice president and trying to find the uh, speaker of the house, uh, the speaker, the, the Nancy Pelosi, the speaker yep. um, you know, numbers two and three in line of succession. If we're counting here, like that's a terrorist plot to me. Um, five people are dead. One's a cop. There's another cop who committed suicide. Um, you know, you can see video of cops being squeezed in doorways to the point that they're cho- they're spitting out blood. Coming out against this, uh, to me, is not a, a left or right issue, just like being against it. I, I would not consider it to be a left or right issue. This, to me, is is right and wrong. And when you have these people who are 
in this event chanting a guy's name, um, who are waving a guy's flag, uh, who are repeating a guy's lies to the letter, um, trying to overthrow a process he's been talking about overthrowing for weeks. Um, you can hold that guy accountable. And that to me is not a left or right issue. That to me is right and wrong. And so people might not like to hear it, and I get it. I, I, I really honestly do. But I have a very small platform in the greater scheme of things, very small. And I choose to use it in a way about things that matter to me. Uh, as an Amer- I'm a sports writer. I'm also an American. Yes. These things matter to me, Justin. These things matter. And, and I'm not, I, and yeah, I'm not, and I'm not disillusioned. I'm not out here thinking I'm changing the world with my silly little tweets. I, I do not think that. But it, what, it's what feels right to me. Uh, a siege on the American Capitol um, to thwart uh, an uncontested election um, is wrong. It, it, that 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 thing is too wrong to me, and standing up for for that feels right. And well, so the, that's, and that's what I choose to do. And I and I respect that. The devil's advocate approach uh, would be: yes, you do call out bad behavior, but you only. It seems to be when it's Republicans or conservatives that you don't like, and there's Democrats that have done bad things, and that. I would 100% agree with you uh, that Democrats do bad things. To me, and again, I I would defy you to find a single like political tweet or or whatever before the time of Donald Trump. I don't think it exists because I'm not. And given this, I didn't. I didn't get into this business to talk politics. Like (laughs) right, right, right. But like, I also see fundamental issues with this uh, with the current administration. And again, I'm not out. I'm not out there talking about his politics, Trump's politics, or whatever. I'm. I'm not trying to talk politics. I'm talking. Right and wrong, like coming out against the siege on the American Capitol, uh, to me is a you know that's a that's a right and wrong issue. That's not a left and right issue. Those are the issues I try to focus on. Republicans have been in control to this point. They've done the most harm. Trump has done to me done the most objective harm. I'm not talking about his politics. I'm talking about the twenty nine thousand lies that he's told and a bunch of other things that we the don't have to get into. In and so that's why I've focused on it, and I've gone out of my way to also praise Republicans when it feels like the right or wrong, like when they're doing right and wrong things. And just this week, I praised specifically Peter Meyer, the new Republican representative from West Michigan, where I'm from. Uh, he's been admirable in how he's handled things this week and his rhetoric. And again, we don't have to go down a political wormhole, but he's his rhetoric has been admirable, calling out the wrong for what it is and, and standing up for American ideals and American elections. And I have respect for Peter Meyer, and I've said so publicly, and I said so on my Twitter. And he's a he's a he's a Republican, uh, and the whole Meyer family is re- Republican. It's it's again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm talking uh, uh, on my personal Twitter feed about why I personally believe to be right and wrong, and I've, I've tried to focus on that. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, it's your platform, and I say do whatever the hell you want. I mean, yeah. whether I like it or not doesn't really matter. I was curious for your perspective because I do see both sides. I get the perspective of, look, I'm an American, like. Justin Spiro with his stupid Darko <laughs> handle could comment on Trump. Like, why can't I? So, yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I get both sides, you yeah. know. So, I, I, I respect that. I, res- you know. You and if I may, just to say one other thing. Yeah. Um, I understand people who don't like that, and I've been. Which I don't like it. I'm telling you and, in your face, I don't yeah, like it. But yeah. it's also your right to do whatever you right. want. Right. And I, and I and I'm just. I don't expect everyone to like read my tweets and to like all of them or to believe all of them. Just or not, even to about ninety-two. And when people and I've said a, I've said a bunch of times to people who take 
great exception to my Twitter who who tweet at me as such. And I just say, it's okay to unfollow me. I totally get it. I'm not for everyone. I'm not tweeting for everyone. I, I'm just I just don't me, like that six you know? to eight I think your stuff's great, but I would never unfollow you. You're yeah. you're you're a no-brainer follow on Twitter. You're one of the best ones on there. So anyway, let's lighten it up. Yeah. Speed round, we talked about it. You know the rules, similar to word association, but you know, not really. So we, we're gonna rip through them. Man, we I I feel bad. I kept you a long time, but this is our speed round. So we'll start here. One to five sentences, whatever you want to do. Ford Field in general. Ford Field, just as a venue. What do you think of Ford Field? Solid. Solid's a great word for it, Justin. Uh, you know, there's way better. I love U.S. Bank in, in Minneapolis. That, to me, is the pantheon of, of – uh, it's a gold standard of NFL stadiums. I think Ford Field is solid. Um, middle of the pack, especially for a, a stadium that's now going on almost 20 years old. I think it's aged pretty well. I think it's actually aged better than most stadiums from its era. Um, I enjoy covering games there and when they're good, it's a hell of an atmosphere, man. It's a great stadium, um, but they're just, they haven't been good lately, you know, and the press box food pretty hit and miss. I got to say. Yeah. Well, that was actually one of our speed round topics with Rogers. <laughs> you should go watch that one back. So speaking of the lions, we talked about it a little bit, your personal experience covering Matt Patricia, your relationship with them. What was it like? Uh, you know, I think with every, like everyone else, it was, you know, Rocky, especially early, and it got better over time. Uh, we had some disagreements. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We had some personal disagreements, and and things got better after that. And I think that we had a good professional working relationship the last two years. Uh, you asked yeah. for the personal, and that's the personal. That's that's yeah. perfect. Perfect yeah. answer. So you mentioned the stadium, U.S. Bank, but I'm curious more for the city. Your best city to visit on the beat. Nothing to do with the stadium or the team, but just you're out and about in the town for a day or two. Can I go with uh, London? I've only been there twice. That's, that's but fine. That's a pretty good Great I can't, city. I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one. I don't know if I even should say this publicly, but uh, I ended up out. <laughs> oh, and yeah, let's just I've... say I got back to the hotel about like, I forget what local time would have been, but I got about an hour's, an hour's worth of sleep, I will, I will say, before. <laughs> London's <laughs> a great town. I, it's, yeah. I've been to, uh, have you been to Paris? I've been to Paris personally, obviously not for the NFL. Stuff, yeah, we're not yeah, for the I've NFL, to, but yeah, 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 I love Paris. Paris is great, but like I'm the only person I know that's been to both, and I actually kind of prefer London. I'm like, the, I'm, a, I'm a weirdo, but London's a great city. Yeah. That's a good answer. I, that wasn't even on my radar, but yeah, it's kind of outside the box. It's perfect. If you're looking for a good European city, I got to say, go to Berlin. Like just, 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 just push east in Europe in general. Honestly, two of my best vacations. So I get, I know it's a speed round. I'm just going to No, no, say yeah, this. it's your speed uh, round. Yeah, uh, I spent a lot of time in Europe. I lived there for a year when I was a when I was a kid, when I was a, in college, and um, and I love going back. I got friends there and stuff, so I go back quite a bit. And I've been around, and I'm telling like I know Rome and London. These places are the pe- places people want to go. And I'm telling you, the further east I've gone, even into like Eastern Europe, like Croatia and like Serbia. I went to Serbia and Bosnia uh, the summer before Corona. Did you see uh, Darko corona. when you were over there? I did not see Darko. <laughs> I did actually meet. An agent for NBA players when I was in Croatia one time, though, and that was pretty wild. I forget who he said he repped. It was a name I hadn't heard at that time. But um, good times. Berlin, though, it's a class city, man. It's good times and and uh, and cheap place. And uh, I've spent a lot of my life there. And I've heard nothing place. but good things about Berlin. It's like everyone I've talked to that's been there just sings the praises of it. So, yeah, I got to check out Berlin. So we talked about it a little bit earlier. I want you to get it down to a number, though. You get a ton of emails. My personal favorite content of yours is when you do these uh, tweet screenshots of the emails 
we're throwing one up there. You just had this up the other day. This person says, please listen to me and respond if you have the balls. <laughs> I don't know what was in the body of that. You did not include the. That was my tweet. That, this was you. You. I don't even remember this. that one. It, this was this is a while. This is a while. Yeah, okay. was like, not that long. It was like a few months ago. But we pulled this. So yeah, you had this tweet out a few months ago. I do was, like how he capitalized balls. That's he, nice he did, touch. which is interesting. It was like you know he didn't capitalize his own name in the subject there. But yeah, you get these emails, you know, and it's honestly like anyone that follows you knows. But once in a while, you throw these out, like yeah, hey, you know, Ron and Pontiac's pissed to like call you a fascist or whatever the fuck, and I, yeah, it just. You I have get, gotten that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get all sorts of stuff. I mean, I it's it's my favorite content of yours. Honestly, is what I just. I had Rogers has done it too, where it's like, oh man, I just crack up at how crazy these people are. Yeah. But you you know you deal you have a lot of these interactions. If you had to say like what percent of these emails or even just interactions in general that you have are rational, like how rational is the fan base? Twenty percent, eighty percent. Well, it depends on the forum. You know, Twitter is kind of like. It's all over the map. It depends on the day. In the aggregate, on. though, you put and, them all together in a pile. Well, Lions like, Nation. Like email, right? Like it's 80-20, like either like it's 80% either like negative stuff or crazy stuff. Because that <laughs> tends to be what fires people up enough to the point where you go find the author's email and then you open up your email inbox and then you fire off an email. Like, that's a lot of steps, I think, for nowadays. And to hit up somebody, like you, it's easy to fire off a tweet. It's harder to fire off an email. Yeah. So a lot of the the, the stuff that I get, and I think that's true for everyone is either negative or crazy, but like in person, I get a lot of, I, I love talking to Lions fans. I mean, I love it. You know, um, you know, y'all are a crazy breed and you pay my paychecks, which is nice too. But, uh, you know, the, the, as we talked about before, as we talked about before, Justin, the, the passion, I appreciate it because it's not, that's not normal. Like, especially when teams are bad, that's not a normal thing. Um, and I have been thinking a lot about how to explore that more deeply, either in my work or maybe in, a deeper project. I don't know if, I don't know what the form would take. I'm not out here trying to like break some news on what I'm going to do, but I'm intrigued to a pretty great degree about the nature of lions fandom. And I'll put it this way. Like the Cubs until they won the world series a few years ago, were known as the lovable losers. Like they were known for it. They were a pop culture icon for being terrible, but people loving them anyway. And it's interesting that the the Lions to me have become the Cubs, you know, maybe not quite as like long period of time, but in effect, the same thing where they just lose every single year. And yet they still have such a strong fan base, not national like the Cubs did, but locally, like it's the same effect. And yet it's a really like unexplored territory. I mean, people don't think about it in those terms. They just think, well, the Lions are terrible and their fans probably hate them. And the Lions hate the lose. Lions fans hate the losing, but they still love their team in a way that you know Cubs fans did until they won the World Series. And I don't know. I I appreciate that about Lions fans, and I, I would like to do something more on that at some point in some way. It'd be interesting. That'd be a terrible uh, challenge for me to read. It would just be depressing, but it would certainly be an interesting exploration. Yeah. The one thing I've heard the Cubs comparison before too. I always push back on that a little bit in that I think it's too flattering to the Lions because like the Cubs' reputation was. They would blow it in the most heartbreaking fashion on the cusp of big things. The Lions don't even get to the doorstep of good things. They're never even close. I mean, the, the Cubs lose in heartbreaking fashion in 1945 in the World Series. Obviously, in 03, the horrific Steve Bartman incident in the NLCS, and they're up 3-2 in that series. Kerry Wood homers in Game 7. The next game, they have a lead in that game. They blow it. 
Like the Lions don't even teach you to that regard. So you're flattering the Lions, but I, I get the gist of what you're they saying. They never made a Super Bowl, but they've had some moments. They've had some brushes. They made it to a championship, champ, NFC championship game in uh, 1991. Yeah. Uh, who did they beat in the round before? The Cowboys. Yeah. Who was the quarterback? Oh, God. You're putting me on the spot. No, hold on. I don't even remember. Troy Aikman. Uh, it should have been Troy Aikman, but Troy Aikman was out. He wasn't playing that game. Oh, was it Jason Garrett? It was not Jason Garrett. The point is that Troy Aikman wasn't playing, and then they got destroyed by the Washington football team. I don't know. What do I call yeah. them for yeah. the, yeah. from 1991? The point is, even everyone says, oh, they went to the NFC Championship game. They beat a team without their quarterback and then got boat raced. They were not on the verge of anything great. And even if you want to give them credit for that, I was still shitting my pants when that happened, and I'm not that young, so they're a joke. Sorry, we're done with them. <laughs> Favorite player you have covered? Nothing to do with, oh, Calvin Johnson was fun to watch. In the locker room, as a guy, the person, the, the dude, favorite player you've yeah, covered. Yeah, I mean, like, Graham Glasgow and I got just got along. We're kind of cut from cut from some Michigan guy. And, yeah, and yeah. I respected uh, what he was about. He got to the NFL, and, uh, you know, a lot of guys, um, they buy the big house before they should, and even if they don't, they make some money in their second and third year. They get the big house, and... I like he spent Graham spent his rookie year. He lived with Taylor Decker and Joe Dahl in a house in Birmingham. Um, it looked like a a turtle. They told me. <laughs> I don't think it was like your classic Birmingham house. I, don't, I think it was kind of like a college house, you know, kind of situation. I just can't imagine. It's like a thousand pounds worth of human, and they were they were living in the same house, carpooling in Graham Glasgow's mother's Honda Pilot to work every day in Allen Park. Like, I just can't even imagine some of these visuals. And then after that year, um, they kind of did their own thing, and Graham went back to Ann Arbor, and he lived in a condo with his uh, now wife um, and their dog, like basically in the shadow of the big house. I've, I've been there. It's a nice condo. It's a modest condo. I could live in that condo uh, on my sports writer's salary. And I just always kind of respected Graham for like, you know, just being a regular guy. And that's what he was. I mean, it's not like a, some guys like to sell themselves like that. That's how Graham Glasgow was. And uh, I respected him as a human being, just being for, you know, being a regular dude, even though what he did, you know, despite of what he did for a living and then what he did for a living, you know, he was not a flashy player, you know. Uh, he was not your mulling guard, which I think actually hurt him with the evaluation with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. But he did his damn job every day. I mean, I do, I would, I can't think of an or, a more consistent player over the last couple of years um, that I covered Graham Glasgow than Graham Glasgow. You know, he 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 played every snap until the atrocious guard rotation his last year, um, and. Um, you know, he, he was extremely consistent. Again, not a mauler. He's not Quentin Nelson. He's not going to pancake guys on sports. Technically Center, sound player. He, I liked him. And not even technically. He was, he, he did his job. He, yep. the, there's, a, there's a reason why he was graded so highly. And there's a reason why the Denver Broncos gave him $11 million a year. It's because I believe that's what he got. Uh, and it's because he plays football very well as a guard. Um, and I, and, and beyond that, like he's good in the locker room, he's good in the film room. He's the same guy. And I will say this about Graham Glasgow to wrap. There's a lot of guys in that locker room, locker room that bitched about Matt Patricia and the way things were going. A lot of guys. And it was, it was, the leaks were happening before they even played their first game. If you remember. And Graham Glasgow and I were on a good, uh, relationship and, um, and I never once ever heard him bitch about Matt Patricia. He did 
talk about some of the realities when I would press on it. Like everyone is saying this, like what's going on. And his response would always be something like, like, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, but like, I'm going to play for a coach no matter what. And I'm going to like some of them and I'm not, and I'm just here to like do my job. And I, I, and I, and I always respected that about Graham Glasgow. I, I had respect for him on, on a lot of levels. Yeah. I've heard nothing but yeah. good things about him. You're like the third person that, that knew him that said he was yeah. a great guy. And someone at Michigan yeah. told me that too. Never heard, never heard him shit talk anyone in that team. And, uh, I've heard a lot of shit talk. Well, yeah. Years, and so. I don't begrudge those that do, but yeah. good for him for rising above it, I suppose. Yeah. And the yin to the yang of that question, and this is where we'll wrap and we'll finish here. The opposite side of the coin, the least favorite player you covered, not because they weren't technically sound, but because the, thank you for picking Eric <laughs> Ebron in the graphic. That was, that was a Ben Augusta editorial decision, but just the guy's the guy's just an ass or was disrespectful or had no time for you. I don't know what your experience was. The worst guy you ever covered just as a guy. Just for the record, I liked Eric Ebron. Uh, I think he had some serious issues like as a you know, teammate in person, which held him back, held, held, held him back despite his immense physical talent um, and, and everything. Um, but you know, he, he Outside of one of the training camps, I forget if it was his third or fourth year, where he denied my interview request, I think like 20 straight days or 22 straight days or something like that. Outside of that, he always made time, you know, you know, like more well, or less. Who are you to begrudge and, anyone for turning down and, interviews, Kyle? Yeah. I mean, my goodness. No, I'm just saying like like Eric Ebron was always interesting, if nothing <laughs> yeah. else. And as a someone who's supposed to be chronicling what's happening, I yeah. always appreciated that. And and he would usually talk even when shit was hitting the fan. Um, so, you know, serious, in Detroit, definitely. But. And from fan perspective, I totally, I totally understand yeah. why you're asking me about my guy. You know, he didn't as, make as you a, wait two years to do the interview. Like you, you made me wait though, Kyle. Yeah. So. <laughs> Something close to it though. At one point you play, but, hard, you play harder to get than Ebron. He, Ebron. <laughs> I forget what he was salty about, but he was salty about something. So he literally, I, I walked up to him like every day, I swear, for like three weeks in a row in training camp, and he kept turning me down. And I'll never forget, I, I was talking to somebody else after training camp one day, and I turned, I, I just caught him at my periphery. He was talking to some like no name TV reporter. Like, you know, it's like there's, there's beat writers who are there every single day, and then there are fringe people who come through every once in a while. And he was talking to a fringe person, and I swear he was doing it just to like make me mad. You throw it uh, in your face. But, so, okay, but you uh, love Derek E. Brown. You think he's an all-time great first-time <laughs> Hall of Famer. Who was just an ass, though? Well, I mean, it's not – you already mentioned it before, so it's not an original thing. But Ashawn Robinson was not respectful, um, you know. So, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't uh, I don't want to dance on any graves here. The guy's long gone. But, you know, he did not show respect for uh, what my job was. It's our job as reporters to write about the touchdowns and the wins. It's also our job to write about uh, the interceptions and the fumbles and the penalties and the losses. And when you cover the Lions, there's a lot of those things. And I can understand, I can fully understand why a player would be upset or even a coach when that's what's getting written about. Like, how would you feel? How, like, I, I, if I was getting written about that way, like, I would understand it on some level, but I would also hate the fact that my dirty laundry was getting aired out. Yeah, human nature. So I, yeah, it's human. Yeah. It, thank you. That's a good way to put it. It was. It's human. I, I understand. Like, I'm not sitting on some uh, throne here. You know, like I understand my place in the in the game, and um, you know, some players will understand, and some players just won't. But then there are some. There are the Lions locker room. The Lions locker room is a good one generally, but everywhere has people who don't fit that mold. And to me, Ashawn never showed respect for the, pro he didn't show respect for what we do and uh, was salty and um, told me to go fuck myself a couple of times. 
So, you know, uh, yeah, that's I to mean, answer your question. That's, God, the, yeah. the, it's just the merger of yeah. an idea between you and Justin Rogers. It's like the Hutus <laughs> and the Tootsies. Like you guys agreed on a Sean Robinson being just the, the biggest ass that you've covered. So I, I'm glad that you found common ground. Who did Justin that. like covering? You know, I can't remember, but that was, I had yeah. to think that was in the speed round. I just remember him shitting on Ashawn Robinson, yeah. but he had some very nice words to say about Sue. Yeah. He actually defended Sue. We'll talk about the Sue condom story after the year. So man, that's, that's a wrap for us. So you did a great <laughs> job uh, on that note. Um, it's quite the way to wrap. Look, well, it's the great and powerful Oz is, is yeah. commenting, man. I mean, I, yeah, Ben. I got home. I got, I got a bedtime. I got, I got to cover a GM hire story. Then yeah, the next 48 hours, we know so. they may have made a hire while you were in here, but hey, it's not my <laughs> fault. You had a lot to say, which is a great thing. But yeah. look, man, this was a two plus year courtship. Um, most people turned me down. You like were just basically kind of ignoring the overtures, and then you finally got worn down. You were bribed with some fantastic whiskey, and look. And it helped. I'm not going to lie. I don't it blame helped. you. I don't begrudge you. But look, I know I'm a cynical guy. I, for a long time, wrote for a website that was uh, toxic in town, so I am undoing the damage of that association. See, I was I was unaware of this, too. And so uh, I tweeted. Play. And I tweeted. No, I, I, I truly was. Yeah. And I tweeted today about, I think I just retweeted your thing about coming on here. Yeah. And I had a couple people on my beat. Uh, email me some things, and it made me a little concerned. I'll, oh, so this is a great. Yeah. Can we talk about this on the air, or is that no. off the record too? Yeah, maybe off off, off the air. Okay, yeah, that sucks Sorry. for you guys, but it's great for me. All right, I can't wait for that one. That'll be good. <laughs> Believe me, you're not the first person to say, "Hey, after the show's over, I'll tell you about all the people that told me not to come in." So that this is not baptism for me. This is a rodeo uh, round six or seven in that regard. But hey, man. We had back-to-back shows this week. We had Max Boltman from The Athletic yesterday, Kyle Meinke from MLive. Uh, just fantastic interview, man. You did a great job. Look, I hope I wasn't too big of an ass. I'd love to have you back. You do a great job. I have the utmost respect for your work. Uh, you and Rogers, man, are just killing it with the Lions coverage. I appreciate that, and Dave does a great job. It's I'm, I feel thankful as a professional to be on that beat. I've only been on one of the beat. I covered Michigan football for a couple of years before I did uh, Lions. Also a good beat, but like I'm very thankful to be – Surrounded by class, uh, good people. I mean, good humans. Like there's good humans top to bottom in that beat and talented folks. You know, I feel like no matter how well I do, I'm always playing catch up with a Dave Briquette tweet from 6 a.m., you know? Yeah. Um, and that guy's a machine. So I'm, I'm thankful. I, I appreciate the kind words and I'm thankful to be here and I'm uh, to be here. Also be on the Lions beat. And uh, yeah. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. I know that you're exhausted from your time storming the Capitol last Wednesday. <laughs> So I, I appreciate that you recovered enough and you, yeah. you put down the the uh, lectern and, and got yourself ready for this interview tonight. So Spiro yeah. Avenue Show, Justin Spiro, thanks to our producer, Ben Augusta, the other side of the wall, the great and powerful Oz, as he's known around here. Again, thanks to Kyle from MLive. Just a fantastic uh, finally getting through that wall. It was a great <laughs> What, almost uh, two hours. You're a very generous guy with your time, Kyle. To be honest, I didn't know what time it was. The clock's behind me. I assume that's that's probably on purpose, right? To put the clock behind the guest. Yeah, Yeah. I want to see it. I don't want you to see it. But hey, you're you're long-winded, which is wonderful because the short answers. You sound like my editor now. That's a compliment for me. (laughs) I mean, for my purposes, it's great. So appreciate you guys checking us out and very exciting stuff. The new solo show, Off the Curb, is debuting this weekend. So we are days away. So as much as you all love Kyle and Justin Rogers and Max Boltman, and John Wharton and the conga line of great guests we've had. For those that are just huge fans of mine, and I know that's the vast majority of you tuning in, 
Um, you get just me, and it's going to be a small dose of just me, but about 20 minutes of just me this weekend for the first time. Very exciting stuff. More national focus, so I'm not going to be whining too much about the Lions and Michigan State basketball flailing and blowing huge 17-point second athletes. Has been the Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro. Again, thanks to Ben. Thanks to Eric Williamson and his boxers on his couch tuning in. Our great graphic design guy and uh, Kyle Mankey from uh, MI. You're the man. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks, Justin. Justin Spiro. We'll see you later this week. Thanks.